Carol, will you speak the Sunday after the conference? I said, sure, I would love to do that. And when Peter and I were talking about what I was going to speak about, you know, he's been in this series, You've Got What It Takes. And the theme of the conference was Live a Great Story. So I said to Peter, how about if I speak on You've Got What It Takes to Live a Great Story? And he said, done, that is it. That, that's what I want you to speak on. But listen, I just want to thank all of you who worked so hard to pull off the conference this weekend. You know, that's what I do. I travel and speak and bring the word to, to women at conferences and events. And I just want to tell you, there's no conference like ours, okay? I'm just telling you. And it's not because of me. It's because of all of you. It's because all of you who work so hard to pull it off. You know, it's just because the people at Life Church, you greet so well, you usher so well, you cook so well, you decorate so well, you plan so well. I, I just want to give from my heart to yours a great big thank you this morning. Because in case you didn't know it, this weekend, hell got smaller and heaven got bigger. Amen. That's our goal. That's our goal. Well, let's pray. And I'm so excited about the verse I'm going to share with you today. So let's pray so we can dig right into the word. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. Father God, we stand amazed at your presence, at who you are, at what you've done for us, at the plans you have for us. And Lord, right now, we just want to say, we want more. We want more of you, more of who you are. Father, we want more of your wisdom and your revelation and your peace and your hope and your joy. So Father, this morning, I pray that you'd give us a heavenly download of information, of wisdom from the throne room of God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Well, have you ever wondered what God's will is for your life? Some of you might say, yeah, every morning when I wake up, you know, every minute I'm alive, I think, God, what is your will for my life? God, what is your singular plan for me out of the billions of people in the world who have ever lived? And you might feel like your feeble cry just sort of wanders up through the cosmic nothingness. And you, you feel like, I'm alone. I'm unnoticed. There's nothing for me. I'm a nobody. I'll never make a difference. And I guess God has a plan for people like Billy Graham and Barbara Bush and, and you know, some of the home run hitters that we would think, but I'm, I'm just a nobody. And I want to tell you this morning, there's a plan. There could be nothing farther from the truth than all that futile thinking. God has a plan for your life. It's from his heart to yours. And when God created you, he was so excited that the angels were jumping up and down at the impact that your life could have through the ripples of history. I believe that the calling of God for all of us is specific and it's personal, and it's always found in the Word of God. If you want to know what God's plan is for your life, you got to open your Bible. Imagine that. Well, as most of you know, my life has sort of been in that infamous holding pattern for the last year. Um, Craig has moved to Tulsa. He went to India on August the 14th, came home September 9th, and moved to Tulsa on September 10th. And, you know, our house went on the market back in June of 2017, and it's still on the market. And so I'm still in Buffalo. Um, and I've had one of the greatest years of my whole life. Even though to the natural eye, it might seem like to some of you that my life has been on a holding pattern, it has not. 
it's been a great year for me because I know that I've got what it takes to live a great story. And the story that I've been called to live is not dependent on my living conditions, the people around me, my disappointments. It's not dependent on my income or the circumstances of my life. My ability to live a great story is dependent upon how I respond to the call of God in my life that I find in the word of God. Well, one day this winter, I was home, it was snowing. Um, I knew I had the day stretching out in front of me and I, I hunkered down to have a quiet time as I, I do almost every day of the year. Probably 350 days of the year, you'll find me reading my Bible for, for 30 minutes or so. And you know, let me just be honest with you. I always go searching for God, for gold in my quiet time, but I don't always find it, okay? Some days you just read your Bible because it's the right thing to do. Any, anybody, can anybody say amen to that? And you just hear me there. But, but you read your Bible and you think, okay, well, I did it. I, you know, nothing really changed me today, but I did it. I read my Bible. But this one winter morning, I found gold. I found pure gold. And I was alone in the house, so I could just stand up and shout. I could just stand up and say, thank you, Lord, for this verse that you gave me today. And so that's the verse that I'm going to share with you, this one verse. But let me give you a little bit of the backstory first. Um, <clears throat> it's a verse found in Deuteronomy. And Moses, as you know, was the man chosen by God to lead the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt. Um, he was called to lead them out of Egypt through the wilderness and into the land of Canaan, or the promised land, the Bible often calls it. And we're going to eavesdrop on a conversation that Moses had with this people group that he had spent nearly 40 years leading. He knew that his time was about up. He knew that God was about to call him home. And so he wanted to have a heart-to-heart -heart conversation with these people. They, they stood by the banks of the Jordan River, and he took the time to engage with them and to tell them, hey, you guys, you've got what it takes to live a great story, and let me tell you what it takes, just so you know. You know, the promised land that Moses was leading the people to was an actual geographical location. It was on the other side of the Jordan River. But as I study the story of Moses and what he was called to do, I see in this man's life that he wasn't only called to lead the people to a geographical location, he was also aiming for their hearts. He wanted to have an impact on their how and not just their where. And isn't that what God's trying to do with all of us? You know, all of our stories have a place where they take place, a location where we live. But God is so much more concerned about what's going on, your on in your heart than he is concerning where you live or where you are or what your circumstances are. And so this morning, I just want to submit to you that God's doing a work in your heart, that just like Moses, through his days of leadership, he wanted to revolutionize the way they lived. You know, Moses wasn't just trying to get the people out of Egypt. He was trying to get the Egypt out of them. And maybe that's what God's trying to do with us. 
Not only does God want us to go to heaven and be with him for eternity, but also he wants to do something in us while we're here on planet earth. He wants to revolutionize our heart and our attitudes and our choices. My friends, let me tell you this. You will never live abundantly. You will never live in the promised land that God has for you if you cling to idols, if you cling to your past, if you cling to your bondage or to your sin. You know, one of the things that God knew would keep his children from living an abundant life was idols. And so actually, in leading up to the verse that I want to share with you today, Moses takes a minute to address the problem of idols in the children of Israel's life. And he said, you know, just like any good father would do, he said, we need to talk. We need to talk about some of the choices you've made in your life. You know, not much has changed over the course of 3,000 years, has it? Some of us are still dealing with idols, aren't we? Some of us are still choosing poorly. Now, in the Old Testament, oftentimes, idols were literally other false gods. Oftentimes, they were statues made of gold or bronze. But let's admit it, our 21st century idols, they're a little bit different than that, aren't they? They're a little bit different than that. Um, an idol, let me tell you what an idol is. An idol in our lives as believers in Jesus Christ are anything that you place more importance on than you do your relationship with God. An idol often gives a false sense of security and pleasure. An idol is anything that you spend more time pursuing than you do your relationship with God. An idol often determines our decisions. So is it okay if I step on your toes a little bit? Is it, is it okay if we do that? Now, let me just tell you, I spent some time on my face this week repenting when I thought about the idols in, in, in my life. Modern idols, sure it's quiet in here, Peter. Modern idols might be our phones, Netflix, a sports team, food, exercise, clothes, our homes, our jobs, money, making it or spending it. An idol is anything we spend more time pursuing than we do our relationship with God. Now, in themselves, none of those things are wrong. None of those things are bad. But you got to keep them in perspective. You got to keep your priorities straight, right? So now we're going to eavesdrop on the conversation that Moses is having with the children of Israel on the banks of the Jordan River. He's saying, okay, guys, I want to talk to you about some of the choices you've been making, some of the other gods that you're listening to. And in Deuteronomy 13.3, he actually said to them, this is what Moses said to them, idols are actually a test of your love for God. Ooh, that'll preach, won't it? Idols are actually a test of your love for God. And, and Moses said these distractions are actually just a thermometer that's going to measure how much you love God and how much you love other things. And then comes the verse. Then comes the zinger that sent me to my feet that winter morning. Deuteronomy 13.4. You shall follow the Lord your God and fear him 
and you shall keep his commandments, listen to his voice, serve him, and cling to him. Now, when my eyes happened upon this verse, I realized that this verse was filled with verbs. It, it was a run-on sentence that was filled with verbs. And all of the verbs were in the imperative, which means they are a command from the Holy Spirit to the people of God. And it also means, in the imperative, a command means that it's understood who they're spoken to. They're spoken to you. Your name is on this verse. This is, living by this verse is going to give you what it takes to live a great story, to follow, to fear, to keep, to listen, to serve, and to cling. Now, we're going to look at these verbs one at a time, and we're going to wring the truth out of each one of these verbs, because when you leave here today, I want to know that I know that I know that you've got what it takes to live a great story. And the way you're going to live a great story is if you follow, you fear, you keep, you listen, you serve, and you cling. There is no other way to live a great story this side of heaven than saying yes, sir, to that command, to those imperative verbs. Each one of those verbs is written to you. It has your name on it. So I always sort of um, cushion what I'm going to say, but if you believe in writing in your Bibles, which I do... When you get home, if you don't have your Bible open with you today, I want you to write your name beside this verse because this verse was written for you. So the first thing this verse says is to follow, to follow the Lord. Now, this is the Hebrew word akar, A-C-H-A-R, and it's actually a word that denotes position. In other words, you are not first, you are second. You are not in the front. You are the next one in line. You are second, and you're following closely on the heels of the Lord your God. My friends, you don't lead God. He leads you. He's the one in front. He leads you into the most marvelous places you could ever imagine. You could never get to these places unless you were second and he was first. You follow him into all truth. You follow him because he's leading you with his love. You follow him because he's leading you toward goodness. He leads you toward, toward eternal wisdom. Who wouldn't want to follow him? Who wouldn't want to be second to a father, a leader like that? Now, this is the thing. You get to choose. Are you going to follow God or are you going to follow idols? Right? Because idols are anything you spend more time pursuing than you pursue the Lord. So if you're choosing to follow an idol or two in your life, let me just tell you this. Idols will lead you to destruction, to lies, to false security. Idols will lead you back to Egypt, back to bondage. But when you want to follow Jesus Christ, when you're following close on the heels of him, it changes your direction. It changes your possibilities. It changes your potential. It changes your impact in life. But you know what? It's hard to change direction, isn't it? You know, you think you got life all figured out and you're going one way and, and you're pretty secure in your life. And then, then you realize God's calling you. And, and you've got to change direction. You've got to change your plans. You've got to change your heart issues. Um, you know, you might have built your, your life, your lifestyle in a certain philosophy on some certain plans that you've had since you were a child. Um, I have a son-in-law who 
he, he went to college, he's brilliant, to be an engineer. And he's been climbing the corporate ladder for the last four or five years being an engineer. And, and last summer, he heard the voice of the Lord say to him, hey, Chris, what did you want to be when you were a little boy? And Chris said, well, I wanted to be a doctor, but I'm an engineer. And God said, yeah, I want you to be a doctor. And, and Chris said, no, God, I'm an engineer. And, and God said, Chris, I want you to go to medical school. And Chris said, well, God, I have a family now, and I have a good job, and I'm an engineer. And, and God said, Chris, did you hear me? I want you to apply to medical school. And so he did, and he got in, and they, it's changed their direction. It's going to change the course of their life. And Chris could have chosen to say yes or no, right? Because we can all choose that. And he still would have gone to heaven, and his life still would have been good. But God will often change our direction. I want to tell you that I believe the Lord is calling you today. He's calling some of you to change your direction. He's calling some of you to stop following those idols and to, and to follow him with your whole heart. God, God is saying to so many of us today, hey, y'all, I'm first, you're second. Who wouldn't want to follow him? This is what 2 Corinthians 2.14 tells us about following the Lord. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. When you follow the Lord, it's a triumphant walk. It's a walk of victory always. Not one time will the Lord lead one of his children to defeat. He always leads us to victory. Now, I will say this. Many of the times, the way the Lord leads us is a lesson in dying to self, isn't it? But that doesn't mean it's defeat. That means it's victory. You know, following Jesus is a whole lot harder than it sounds. But it's also a whole lot more wonderful than you've ever imagined it to be. Now, I want to read to you one of my favorite verses from Psalms, and then we're going to move on to the next verb. But I've always thought about this this verse when I've been going through a hard time and I've been tempted to say, Lord, it's pretty hard to follow you. Has anybody else ever felt that way? Lord, Lord, this is pretty hard stuff. This is the verse I always go back to and I always lean into. It's Psalm 84 verses 5 through 7. It says, how blessed is the man or the woman whose strength is in you in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Let's just pause right there for a minute. So your heart has highways. You, you get to choose in the deepest places of your heart where those highways are going to go. It's an idle thing. It, it's choosing what you're going to do with your life. And the psalmist said that, that there's a blessing and there's a strength for the person in whose heart are the highways to Zion. You know, over the course of my lifetime, I've done a lot of studying on this word Zion in the Old Testament. And most theologians, and, and I'm not a theologian, but I believe this along with them, believe that Zion is a place of high praise. That Zion is a place of high worship. And so the Lord is speaking to those of you today who are in a hard place, and you're thinking, is it worth it to follow the Lord? Do I have what it takes to live a great story? The Holy Spirit is speaking to you today and say, it's a hard issue. And the way you get through anything, if you really want to follow the Lord, the GPS system of your heart that's written on your heart will be worship. 
it'll be praise. Because worship can get you through anything. And the psalmist went on to say, passing through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. Now the valley of Baca is a place of weeping. It's a place of grief. It's a place of mourning. And the psalmist is saying, hey y'all, when you have praise and worship as the GPS system of your heart, you're going to pass through a place of weeping, but you're not going to stay there. You're, you're going to pass through it, but you're going to pass right on through. And as you pass through it, you're going to turn it into a spring, a place of growth, a place of abundance. The early rain also covers it with blessings. This is how the Lord leads you. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them appears before God in Zion, a place of worship. So how do we follow the Lord? We worship him. We take all the other idols off the throne of our heart. We often die to ourselves. We know that he's in front and that I'm second, and we follow him. We are led from strength to strength. He leads us through worship and to worship during the very worst days of our life. Okay, the second um, word in this verb, heavy verse, is the word fear. The Holy Spirit through Moses is saying, okay, follow the Lord. And the next thing you have to do is to fear the Lord. And this is the Hebrew word yare. Everybody say yare. I meant for, to have you say a car too. Say a car. See, when you leave today, not only are you going to have what it takes to live a great story, but you're also going to be brilliant. You're also going to have some Hebrew in your back pocket. So the word fear is the Hebrew word yare. But let me tell you something. We don't fear the Lord the way we, we're afraid of the dark. We're afraid there's a monster under the bed. We're afraid of the economy. We're afraid of the, a nuclear war. We're afraid of Korea. We're afraid of ISIS. We're afraid of cancer. We're, you know, we're not a, that, that's not what this word yare means. Yare is a beautiful Hebrew word. And it means a couple different things, and I want to share with you three of the things that it means. First of all, it means to stand in awe of, to, to, to be in awe of something, just, just to have your breath taken away because of what you're experiencing. And if you want to have what it takes to live a great story, you will spend every, some time every day in Yare, in just being in awe of the God that you serve. And, and so I, I want to encourage you every day to make a list of the miracles that you're aware of that have happened in your life or other people's lives. Make a list of the blessings that you have. Make a list of the prayers that have been answered on your behalf. Make, make a list of the attributes of God and take some time every day just to yare, just to be breathless in his presence. Now, this word yare also means to fear, to reverence, to honor, to respect. And then the definition takes us down one deeper pathway. It says, this kind of fear evokes righteous living. Oh, this kind of fear evokes imitation of the one being feared. See, as you stand breathless and in awe of the God that you serve, He's just not sitting on a throne room far away and untouchable. He's personal, and he wants you to be like him.
He wants you to imitate his characteristics. He wants you to think like him and to agree with him. You know, when we reverence and honor God, it's not the kind of fear where our, our knees shake and our blood pressure goes up and we get dry mouth. No, that's not what it is. When we fear God, when we're breathless and wonder at who he is, when, when we, we, we respect and honor him so much that, that we want to imitate him, a metamorphosis begins to happen in us. We become like the one we are honoring. And that is our goal this side of heaven. To become like the one we are honoring. So I want you to also take some time every day to think about who God is. And to ask God to give you a download of his character. That's called yare. And then finally, my favorite definition of this Hebrew word yare, it... You're going you're to know why it's my favorite one. It's to tremble for joy in his presence. So I want to challenge you every day of your life. Spend some time in straight up worship. It doesn't matter if you're on key or off key. Sing, laugh, dance, rejoice, celebrate. Because fearing God is not a fearful thing. Fearing God is a joyful thing. And your life will never be the same. Okay, word number three is keep his commandments. And it's the Hebrew word shamar. Everybody say shamar. Now, again, I have to give you three meanings of this word so you get it. And they sort of go in order. Shamar, this is what it means. To keep his commandments, to observe, honor, or to keep. Hey, in case you haven't realized it yet, you don't have a better idea than God. He has all the greatest ideas. He, he, he has all the wise input that your life could ever need. And your life, because you honor him, your life should be a walking, talking, living demonstration of the word of God. It's true that as believers in Jesus Christ, our lives might be the only Bible that people ever read. And that's why we shamar. That's why we keep his commandments. So it's that in my life and in your life that the word of God is on show and tell. You know, uh, my dad has been in heaven since 2002, and he was the most loving man I have ever met in my entire life. I never heard him say a bad word, a crossword, a curse word. I, I never, he never got angry with us, never. Now, he talked to us, but, but there was never a shade of anger in his voice. But one thing, my dad, would not tolerate was back talk. We couldn't talk back to him, and we certainly couldn't talk back to his wife. And so as we learn how to shamar the Lord, I just want to encourage you, don't talk back to him. Honor him with your life. Say, yes, sir, I don't have a better idea than than you do. And the good thing about the commandments of the Lord is that the Bible tells us they're not burdensome. They're not too hard for us. Um, in 1 John 5, 3, it says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Listen, I know that one of the things that we sort of struggle with this side of heaven 
is, is who's going to win over certain issues in our life, over certain idols in our lives, over certain weaknesses or preferences or philosophies in our life. And, and I want to tell you something. God didn't give us a list of rights and wrongs, do's and don'ts to make our lives horrible and boring. Okay, he gave them to us to make our lives wonderful because Father really does know best. He, he, gave, he gave us these things because it's the very best way to live and because I don't have a better idea than God. He gave us these things because he wanted you out of Egypt. He wanted you out of bondage, out of slavery. And so he gave you a game plan that's not only going to get you there, but it's going to change your heart. Shamar. The second meaning is... Uh, Thank you. <laughs> One person agreed with me. <laughs> the second meaning is this, to guard, to preserve, or to protect. Shamar means to guard, preserve, and protect. You know, as the people of God, we have been charged by the Holy Spirit in this verse to guard, preserve, and protect the word of God, the principles of God. We need to make sure that the commandments of God are not forget, forgotten, not only in the church world, but in our culture. We're the ones who are called to be the lights on the hill, to show people what the word of God actually says. And, and, I, and I want to talk to parents and grandparents for just a minute. Don't ignore the word of God. Pass them down from generation to generation. Talk about the word of God in the home. Um, you know, one thing I read about the Hebrew tradition is that the grandmothers were especially in charge of the spiritual life of the generations to come. And so because I'm a grandmother now, I, I want to just speak to all of you who are grandmothers or you're on the precipice of it. Hey, we're the ones who've been charged to preserve the commandments of the Lord in our families for the generations to come. Talk to your kids about the hard things in life. Share with them in a loving way what the word of God says about these difficult cultural issues. We have been charged by the Holy Spirit to guard, preserve, and protect the word of God. And finally, this word shamar means to celebrate and to worship Hey, make your life the grand event that celebrates the word of God. If you love him, make your life a worship service. One of the things I taught on this weekend is that the Bible is a musical and I can prove it. Okay, you know, I'm married to this great man of God. Um, and one of the stories I told this weekend is on our honeymoon. Okay, so I'm head over heels in love, madly in love. And we've been married third day, three days. And do you know what movie he took me to see? Star Wars. Yeah, I forgave him, okay? We walked out and I said, what was that about? Um, and then we got home to our little apartment and I said, okay, now we're going to watch one of my favorite movies. The hills are alive. <laughs> and he, he said, Carol, that was so unrealistic. I said, really? Coming from a man who thinks Star Wars is a movie? You think the sound of me? And he said, yeah, Carol, who breaks out dancing in the streets like that? And I said, we do. That's what we should be doing. As the children of God, we are called to celebrate we are called to make our lives a worship service. Now, if you're really struggling with this, I, I have a verse for you that I just want to challenge you with. Psalm 119 says this. 
Give me understanding that I may observe your law and keep it with all my heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies. So if there's a place of struggle in your life today, if there's a place that you haven't laid on the altar, if there's part of Egypt that's still in you, if you still know you've got some idols in your life like I do, listen, lean in to Psalm 119, 34 through 36. Turn it into a prayer. Pray the scripture and see what the Holy Spirit will do in your life. Now, the next word is the word Shema. And this word means to listen to his voice. And oh, how I love this word Shema. Again, several different meanings. First of all, it does mean to listen, but it doesn't just mean to hear something, it means to listen to it, to understand it, not to ignore it. Listen, when God is speaking to you through a sermon or through the lyrics of a song or, or um, through a, a teaching on radio, don't put your fingers in your ear and ignore it, but allow his words to dig deeply into your heart. Now, this word Shema also means, okay, so we've heard, we've listened. It means after you do that, to render obedience to obey his voice. See, just listening is not enough. The voice of the Lord has to change how you live and what a joyful change it is. The Lord is calling you through his word by his commandments to a joyful, celebratory, righteous, free existence. And you'll never live in that place until you obey. And finally, Shema, listen to render obedience. And finally, after listening to tell, to tell. You are called to tell and you will never live the great story that you've been called to live until you begin to tell. Listening, obeying, oh man, those are all great things and it's all where it starts, but it only starts there. The true joy is when you tell. Just tell your story. People love stories, don't they? They, they love to tell. You know, whenever I, I meet somebody who has cancer, they love to hear my story. Whenever I, I meet a woman who's dealing with infertility, she drinks up my story. Whenever I meet somebody who's dealing with depression and they think I don't understand and I say, hey, I spent seven years on medication. I, I was in a deep, dark place. And all of a sudden, I have a platform in their lives. All of a sudden, they listen. L listen, part of listening, part of Shema is to tell. Now, the next word is abad. And I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this meaning because I really want to tell you a story. And then I'm going to bring it to a quick close with the last one. But this word abad means to labor, to work, to serve another by labor, to make oneself a servant. I'm going to share with you um, a story that I shared at the conference because I've been deeply impacted this spring by the story of Joseph of Arimathea in the New Testament. Joseph is mentioned in all four of the Gospels. He was from an obscure village about um, 20 miles from Jerusalem. And, and Joseph was a rich man. He had name fame. He had prestige. He was a leader in the local church and in the local community. Um, and it was the, the day of the crucifixion. And everybody else had left. Most of Jesus' disciples were in hiding. Nobody was there. Every, everybody was gone. 
and the body of Jesus was still hanging on the cross. And, and Joseph um, went to the ruling authorities and he said, hey, could I, could I have the body? W would you allow me to take the body of Jesus Christ? of Jesus Christ. You know, Joseph knew that he could lose a lot by these actions. He could lose his prestige, he could lose his relationships, he could lose his fame and his money. But when, when it came time for somebody to serve the body of Christ, to take care of the body of Christ, Joseph of Arimathea stood up. He knew that he was still alive on this day for one reason, to take care of the body of Jesus Christ. Let me read it to you in Matthew 27, starting with verse 57. And when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. And this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb which he had hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. You know, Joseph of Arimathea was determined to move the body of Jesus Christ from a death position to a resurrection position. Oh, let that settle for a minute. One man said, I'm going to be part of the solution. I'm going to take the body of Jesus Christ from where it is to where it ought to be. Had Joseph not moved the body of Christ, there might not have been any possibility of resurrection. It took one humble man to say, I'll take up and I'll stand up and serve the body of Jesus Christ. I'll take care of it. Nobody else will, but I will. In verse 58, where the New American Standard says that he asked, that verb doesn't do it justice. The, the true verb meaning is he begged, he pleaded, he craved to be the one to take care of, to serve the body of Jesus Christ. He said, let me get my hands on it. I have to serve the body. Well, you know by now that the reason I keep saying the phrase body of Christ it's because I'm talking to you about the church. I'm talking to you about the church. When was the last time you begged for the opportunity to serve the church? When was the last time you said, I'll risk it all. I'll risk my money, my prestige, my position, my relationships to serve the body of Jesus Christ. When was the last time you said, oh, Sarah, please, I beg you, let me work in the nursery. Oh, Peter, please, I beg you, let me give above my tithe this week. Oh, please, Lauren, please, Pastor Lauren, I beg you, let me park cars. I will do it. Serve the body of Christ. You know, it, the Bible tells us that Joseph wrapped it in clean clothes because he added to its holiness. He added to its cleanliness. And then he put it in a position where resurrection could take place. Joseph of Arimathea knew what you and I often ignore. It wasn't his wealth or prestige or position that made him great. It was his service to the body. Now the last word is cling, which is the Hebrew word debak. Everybody say debak. And it means to cleave to, to be joined together, 
to adhere to as if with glue. This, this word debak in the Hebrew is actually a cooking term. And it's when everything's stirred together and you can't tell one ingredient from the other. See, our lives should be so mixed up, mixed in with the word of God and the person of Jesus Christ that when somebody takes a bite out of us, and they will, all they get is Jesus. All they taste is Jesus. And you know, if you're clinging to Christ, you're not going to be able to hold on to anything else, so the idols are going to go, amen? The idols, because you're just going to be clinging to Jesus Christ. So I really want you to remember this scripture all the days of your life because you do have what it takes to live a great story. And so we have created some cards for you that the ushers are going to hand out right now. And um, there's one for every single one of you. And I want you to take this card and I want you to put it in your wallet or in your purse or on your bathroom mirror or on the dashboard of your car. And every time your eyes land on this verse, I want you to remind yourself, you know what, I've got what it takes to live a great story. You know, the, the Lord is in the process of getting Egypt out of me, and I'm going to live in my place of abundance because I'm going to live in a place of worship and in of declaring the word of God all the days of my life. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. Father, I thank you for this, your presence in this room, and I thank you for the Life Church family. And Father, I just speak a grandmotherly blessing upon them today. Father, I pray, pray that you'd bless them all the days of their lives. Father, I pray you'd give them the strength today to let go of idols and to embrace your word in power, in purpose, and in practice, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen, amen. Peter. Can we give it up for Carol?